HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. Order now at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. Hello, everybody. This is Jerobi from A Tribe Called Quest slash Eats Rhymes in Life. And you're here listening to Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from like 12 to like 12.45 or 1 on Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Sus? Good. Good. Uh, got uh, Dave in the booth. How you doing, Dave? Good. Yeah. And special guest today, we have Ariel Johnson from formerly of... Where did you go originally? You went to Harvard originally? NYU originally. <laughs> NYU originally. NYU originally, where you knew, I met you first there, right? When you were with Kent Kirshenbaum? Yeah, that was like like nine years ago. Right. And then you then you moved on to UC Davis, where mm-hmm. you did your uh, your doctoral work on cocktail bitters. Yes, among uh, fermentations and flavor chemistry yeah, and cocktail and, bitters. And stole, and stole me some data, for, or did, stole me some time on her GC mass spec machine to take a look at what the Searsol does to meat, which was very helpful. Then uh, did a stint at uh, MAD over there in uh, Nomaville in the, in the Denmark, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recently got back from that and is now uh, some sort of like, what do they call it? Like, what's the title over there at the MIT? Oh, a, uh, a director's fellow at the Media Lab. Right, but like more of the quantitative side of the Media Lab, right? Yeah, the the like sciency. Uh, so, so not part. not the side where you where you say that my refrigerator is going to call me on a Thursday and take me to the movies on a Friday and then pick up lettuce for me on a on a Monday. I mean, only if we're like trying to optimize the flavor of that lettuce as are, well. Are they still doing that? Oh yeah. Why hasn't that happened already? <laughs> like, why can't why why can't my refrigerator ask me out on a date or babysit my kids for me and then get me lettuce? Like, wasn't that the dream? I mean, I think that was the dream, but like, I mean, some of what you're seeing now with like like nests and other of these like the nest things, keeps my house things. warm or cold, but, depending. Yeah, but like if the if the like database goes offline, then you're then you're. Well, no, it reverts to a normal thermostat. Yeah. It reverts to a normal thermostat. Then. Yeah. So, so I think I think you could have a talking refrigerator, but maybe they're applying more things to the back end right now. Nastasia, do you want your refrigerator to talk to you? I would just like a full size fridge. That's all I want right now. Wow. You see, you know what I love about Nastasia? <laughs> Small baby steps. Baby well, steps. because why solve a like social problem with a technological solution? Well, I mean, certain technological because Nastasha's problem is clearly just needing a larger fridge. Like if if I could, <laughs> yeah, but like there are certain problems that I would like to solve. Like for instance, if I never had to shave again, it would be awesome. Without well, having like to, laser your face. Yeah, but that Dave. looks like looks strange, right? Why would it, like, lasering your face? Do you know anyone that's done that, Nastasia? Not face. Ooh, you know people that have lasered their their down theirs. Yeah. Don't yeah, that's like a normal. Yeah. Remember, normal, I grew up in thing. the '70s. Like I'm the you know the last of a the last of a generation. So you would like a face Disco laser that, yeah. that that perfectly optimizes like two day stubble amounts of scruff. I wouldn't mind. I mean, like, look, once you're past the point of of trying to have any sort of like I can grow hair, therefore I'm manly, or <laughs> I need to get into a club, uh, and I'm not 21. Which you know, by the way, I couldn't when I was. You know, when I was, you know, 20, 18, 19, 20, I could not grow facial hair like I can now. And so, therefore, you know, it was no use to me then, and now it's of no use to me anymore. I just assume go smooth-faced. I mean, not like baby. I don't want ba- a baby face. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. 
What do you guys think? Are you pro? Like, what's your stubble feeling? Like, for me, it's just laziness. How do you, how do you I like? I have stubble on my legs. What do you feel about dudes with stubble? Do you, would you prefer oh, a totally smooth face or not? Don't care. I don't, yeah, I don't really have a strong preference. Anyway, way. that's a technological solution that if it, it was, it's, it would be weird, though, for me to go laser my face. I mean, it wouldn't be the weirdest thing you've ever done by a long shot, I think. No, it would not be the weirdest thing I've ever done, but it would be like a weird thing. But if it was simple, you know, I don't know. I don't like, know. A, like a pill that you take? Like if my refrigerator could shave for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With uh, so what's the dumbest thing? Oh, you can't say this. You can't. So like, what about like what? Are the, what's the current MIT Media Lab's thoughts on three uh, D printing and food? You know how I feel about it. Um, no one's actually brought it up to me there. So 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 far we've dodged that bullet. I I am not a fan of three D printing and food. I think it's kind of senseless. Yeah, yeah, but don't people up there love that kind of stuff? They love three D printing for like prototyping. But who doesn't? Like that's just a good idea. Like that. But um. There's enough, like, vending machines in the Media Lab that they have not yet, that I've seen, tried to 3D print their food as well. Are they the kind of people that still, like, try to, like, run all the vending machines from their Twitter account? Like, what's it like over there? Well, there's this amazing, uh, like, Slack-connected webcam called the Food Cam. So if you have, like, leftover food, you put it in a particular place and hit a button, and then the entire lab gets a blast with a photo of that food. But why would they do that? For free food. Oh, I see. <laughs> Grad students do. You know who would love that? (laughs) Nastasia is the queen of please take my half-eaten food. Does that mean that, like... This is is ideal for that. You just put it in a place, and then someone gets a notification and comes and gets it. Nastasia, you should get... You should go go work there. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, like if Nastasia... I've seen Nastasia on more than four occasions attempt to give mangled sandwiches to homeless people. Mm Mm-hmm. She's always failed. Nobody turns out nobody wants a mangled sandwich. It just goes to show, Nastasia, how hard up the MIT media grad students are. Yeah. If they're willing to pound a half mangled yeah. sandwich with like literally like you know how when you pick up a sandwich that's mushy and you get those fingerprints in the half that you have from trying to squish it yes. and then trying to control yes. it so that the stuff doesn't slip out of the back while you're yes. eating in the front. If you can pick up somebody's sandwich that that has happened to and start eating it. Like that's a new level. Well, I think I think I think with the with the food cam, it becomes this sort of like competitive thing of like how many, how much of my calories, like what percentage can I get just from free food? From See, this. so, this, this so, is the so kind it of becomes thing. like a point of pride that you don't pay for anything; you just eat what is there. But these are people at MIT, right? Yeah, these are like students, grad students, engineers. My point is, is that they should have like they they have apparently the brains. They shouldn't be like Nastasia and I trying to get like the cheapest, freest stuff. They should just like become the new overlords of the tech world instead with that energy. Don't you know? Well, I think that comes a little later. For I thought day. everyone, I thought all the overlords of the tech industry were like twenty, like twenty five. I don't know. What, what do I know? <laughs> Old man. Old man blues. All right. Um, well, and they, they save time becoming that way by eating free food, I think might be their rationale. They literally think it's faster to go on their phone, find food, go to where the food is, consume the food, tweet to their buddies that they ate the re- rather than just hit, send me a freaking pizza. Well, and it's free. I don't know. I'm just saying I, I feel that the youth is wasted on the dumb. <laughs> I think it's what it is. This doesn't make sense to me. Have you eaten this free food? Mm, I've eaten donuts from the food camp. A donut's not donut. A donut is like Nastasi. I would eat a donut that was left over in a box of donuts. Sure. That's not the same thing. Mm-mm. Would you eat the half-eaten donut? No. No. Are people kind? Do they break the food in half, or do they slice it, or do they mangle it? No, it's, I, I'm not sure. Donut. It sounds like we'll have to have an experiment where we put out food of different different mangles different degrees of manglitude and, and yeah. keep track of how much of it gets taken and how long it takes for each piece to get taken right i think the best would be like if there's other types of food particles near it yeah and a fork stuck in it well i, I mean also bear in mind there's a lot of like 20 year old dudes around so the the like daring each other to eat something gross factor yeah can't be discounted are people over there just high all the time <laughs> Not that I've seen, but... Um. 
Anyway, all right. So uh, a thank you out to Wee Pop Soupy Pot, who uh, you know, uh, one of the founders of the Nomaku, uh, Jack Schram. Did I already say this last week? Jack Schram, uh, our uh, head bartender. Although, by the way, speaking of head bartender, as I said, Booker and Dax's last day of business in the current incarnation will be on October the fifteenth, so uh, of twenty sixteen. So you should go uh, check it out if you want to get your Booker and Dax style drinks on prior to October fifteenth, because uh, no date has yet been announced when we will open another one. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so Jack Schramm, our head bartender, uh, was in Thailand, saw uh, Weepop, uh, one of the founders and creators of the Nomiku, which did not win Best New Device or uh, Best Technology thing at the Taste Talk Awards, but he's in good losing company because Museum of Food and Drink we also lost yesterday. Big, uh, the CIA, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, I mean, the CIA, not the, not, you know, the, the, the Culinary Institute of the Arts, they... Um, we're so much bigger and, like, older than we are. So it's, like, even, like, to be in the category is, like, that's great. But, I mean, how the heck are we going to beat out the CIA for best, like, food cultural institution? Like, how the hell are we going to do that? You know what I mean? Does that mm-hmm. make any sense? Nope. Makes no sense. Or Southern Foodways Alliance was in there. Oh, good stuff. Anyway, so we pop, like, you know, uh, for those of you that know me a long time, personally, because I don't think I talk about it on the air, I have this obsession with cleared and stained uh, animals, you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, for those of you that don't know, what you do is people also call it something stupid like diaphanizing or something dumb mm-hmm. word like that. But cleared and stained, what you do is you take typically a small animal like a fish, a rat, or a frog, or something like this, and you soak it in potassium hydroxide, which is a very strong base, and that uh, denatures a bunch of the proteins and softens it up and le- basically makes, renders the entire animal transparent. Totally transparent. You then soak the animal in uh, dyes, and the different dyes, like uh, like uh, there's a blue that which is the blue they use in in, uh, in uh, slide staining. There's a lizarin. There's a lizarin uh, r- r- crimson red, yeah. red. They use that one, and they use one of the blues, like uh, bromphymol blue. I don't know one of the no, blues. Wait, that's for a pH indicator. I don't know. They, yeah, no, there's several blues. They use one of the blues, yeah. and they, they soak them and then re-leach them out, and the different dyes have preferential affinities for different tissues. Mm. And so they can soak them into, for instance, the bones or the nervous system and then leach them back out so you have the transparent animal with the color of the bones and the color of the... And I, I freaking just love these things. So Pop sent one back encased in acrylic, this little, oh, nice. this little fish. But the problem is, it's technically very difficult to do it on really large specimens because, like, a, a because of like diffusion. I don't. I guess. Properties. I guess the outside turns to total mush before the inside yeah. is is totally done, or you, maybe you can't leach stuff out fast enough. Because I've always had this dream in like a in like a teaching butchery mm. of ha- like especially fish butchery because it's mm. like hard to totally visualize where all the bones are in a fish to just have a completely like cleared and stained like striper. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, you know what I mean, like full size striper. I mean, do you think you could, like, perfuse it the way they do when they're, like, embalming corpses? Well, when you're embalming a corpse, right, you're not... Uh, the problem is, is that as you're doing it, you're destroying... You're not destroying, but you're reducing the structural integrity of the animal, right? Right. So, like, let's say you were going to perfuse it. Like, I'm, I don't know whether this stuff would collapse mm. or whether or not... I mean, like, but it's an interesting idea. I just mm. think nobody's ever attempted big, big animals, as far as I know. Like, you know, the ultimate would be, like, the cleared and stained... Like cow, yeah, that you can yeah. show uh, like you know like three D butchery on. Has anyone done the three D cow butcher program yet that you know of? Uh, not that I know of, but I think there should be you know like what? an app for that. Yeah, there should be an app for that. Uh, I wanted to because all you need is like you need to just scan the cow. I'm sure yeah. this has happened. Scan the cow and then just reassemble. You have a three D cow and then you take like you know a knife mm. and you just make your do your online butchery of the cow. I mean, it's not the same as real butchery because real butchery involves like moving the meat around to get to the right bones. It's not. Maybe you could build like a haptic feedback knife. That's just that's just crazy. Like the new iPhone Seven. No, the button, thing is, is like disconcerting. You would have to no, you would have because you would have to like have scans of all the conformations mm-hmm. of the meat as it was peeling away. Yeah, I mean, b- like real butchery requires the manipulation of the meat as it comes off the bone, yeah, yeah. but strictly as a sectioning, mm-hmm. it would be interesting to be able to like fully section it out. You know what I wanted? Nastasi and I talked about this a while ago. One of the to- I wanted to make three D toys for the museum. Like imagine like little pigs and cows that are magnetic. 
and you pull them apart at the at the meat boundaries. Do they oh, have I, it yet? I have something like that. Yeah, I got in in Japan. It's a bonito that will disassemble with Velcro, so you can see where the different loins for katsuobushi come from on the fish. Is it for chefs or for kids? Uh, I'm not sure. Do you so know it's a little expensive for a kid's toy? Well, yeah, as most Japanese things are. <laughs> like Misono once made uh, a, and they might still make it. They made a, a child's chef's knife, mm-hmm. which is basically a, sh- a Misono mm-hmm. where they just took the front tip off of it. <laughs> like literally, it's like school scissors for chef knives, like mm-hmm. with the. F- but you can still like slice the slice yourself, slice the hell out of your finger, yeah. which is what your kid's going to do. Your kid, I mean, like I it's mean, interesting. They like learn the hard way and well, then don't do it again or? with the Masono. I mean, it's like like to me, it's like this is like you know, Nastasia and I might think this way. It's like okay, they're not going to stab my eye because it doesn't have a point on it anymore. But what's the first thing a kid does when they when they when they take a knife? They put their fingers flat. Yeah. They don't like they don't roll their hands and mm-hmm. they don't necessarily look at what they're doing. So it's like I mean, I would doubt that the average first injury that a kid gets is stabbing their their brother or sister's eye with a knife. I would imagine the kid's first injury is coming straight down onto a fingertip. Yeah, I mean, does it come with a fingertip reattachment kit? No, it should like it should come with those cut-proof kind of gloves. But oh, then how yeah. can, but how the those things are useless to me. Like it, <laughs> like if you're in like large-scale butchery where you don't need like a lot of like dexterity with your left, mm-hmm. let's just assume you're right-handed. If you don't need a lot of dexterity with your left or if you're like really in guts and goop with your right and you don't need like like yeah, you could hold a big like a big freaking knife with one of those things and you don't need that much kind of like feedback in your hand. Mm-hmm. But how the hell are you going to like like do fine work with uh, those cut resistant gloves on like fine work yeah I mean I guess that's like the trade off and with little kid fingers little kid fingers inside of those cut resistant gloves yeah how the hell are they going to learn properly well they need like a thinner space age polymer Kids kids need to come with extra hands well yeah it's like when kids do really gross things. Don't you wish you could just pop their hands off and put, fr- put <laughs> on Jammy fresh hands? Yeah, put fresh hands on. Uh, I'm like, uh, those hands are no good anymore. Yeah, I see my kids fall like in the street, mm-hmm. like like down where Anastasia and I used to work, and we would just wanted like we wish we could just unzip them and just put a whole fresh them on the outside because <laughs> this is like the idea of cleaning off all that garbage is just kids should really molt like snakes. That's true. Or that- lobsters. Well, yeah, lobsters are gross. Lobsters have to starve themselves and shrink out of their shell, break through the carapace and come up. That's why they don't well, that, taste as good right after they shed. That would be less ideal for children then. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think so. Have you ever had one of those high-pressure deshelled lobsters? No. You know about this, right? If you put the if you kill a lobster with like the super high-pressure pasteurization thing, apparently okay. you can just like like remove them from the shell. They just pop out. I, I guess I don't know. Like this is what like the modernist cuisine I think had a picture of them. Like the whole lobster, it's just the meat completely oh. articulated, but with no shell. I thought I thought maybe they had some intern that had to like pick every piece of meat out with tweezers and then sew it back together. That sounds like a Nathan Mirvold yeah. thing to do, but uh, I don't think that's what they did. Maybe <laughs> someone in the chat room will know. The uh, speaking of shells, was I mentioning this? I was doing some tests of uh, pressure cooking eggs in vinegar. Okay. So obviously it, it decalcifies mm-hmm. the shell mm-hmm. and vinegarizes the egg. But I haven't had 100% success. I've had marginal success. How do you define marginal success? Well, I did it with just uh, vinegar, mm-hmm. and the eggs were quite hard. I mean, like quite hard mm-hmm. coming out, like uh, quite hard. Um <laughs> Good. A little bit of that gross calcium taste had mm-hmm. penetrated the actual egg, mm-hmm. but the, the the shells were after an hour and fifteen or an hour and twenty in the pressure. The shells were completely peelable, offable. Mm-hmm. They were actually interestingly. There was still some myard on the um, on the egg, hmm. which leads me to believe that uh, the the vinegar hadn't penetrated to dealkalize the white until like fairly late in the game like maybe it cracked and penetrated uh, oh okay I don't know the second time I tried to make flash you like mustard eggs explain Stas do you have mustard eggs no. so you take like vinegar and mustard mm-hmm. some people use mustard powder some people just squeeze mustard into it mm-hmm. and other spices like pickling spices like coriander and, and you know alliums and crap mm-hmm. and you throw uh, hard boiled eggs into it and just let it sit and they turn yellow 
and vinegary. It's like a pickled egg. Oh, like a beet pickled egg, but, but with, not with but beets. With mustard. With mustard. That sounds super tasty. It's, it is. They have a little sugar too because if you were to give me any day of the week, you say here have this thing that tastes like beets, or here have this thing that tastes like mustard. Nastasi, which one do you choose? Mustard. Mustard. Absolutely mustard. Absolutely mustard. Yeah. Dave, what would you ever choose a beet over a mustard? Mm. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in this case. Yeah. Because, like... I love beets, though. Really? Yeah. You don't like beets? I like beets. But, I mean, you what's say I, I like beets means, like, I really like beets. Like, do you like playing in dirt? <laughs> I don't think that's a fair analogy. <laughs> no. What is this, a I mean, it's, like, debate? literally the same flavor molecule, yeah. Yeah, like, the Giazman... <laughs> Delicious Giazman. Giazman, the, the flavor compound from... Uh, Dirt, which, by the way, Harold McGee says that there's a um, a museum. He went to a microbe museum in Holland. Have you been to this? I've heard of it, but I haven't been to it. Yeah, he said they have a, a bacterial culture there that makes pure jasmin. So oh, just open amazing! It and, yeah, it's like just bacteria, but it smells like dirt. But anyway, that same thing is in beets and tilapia. So in beets, we learn to like it because it's characteristic of mm-hmm. beets. But if that smell bothers you in other things, then it can bother you in beets. Is most of yeah. it concentrated near the surface? That I don't know. That's an interesting question. Like if you like like Nastasi well, I mean, and I it, have similar beet dis, mm. dis problems. And it's mainly with when they don't peel the freaking things, right? Mm-hmm. When they undercook them or they don't peel them. Mm-hmm. That's when it's the biggest problem for us. But like flavor-wise or texture-wise? Both. Um. Well actually, I don't mind a crunchy beet. Mhm. I like beets in vinegar, but I would guess that the vinegar, in the same way that it helps uh, make tilapia not taste like... Well, it's different, right? That's a TMA, uh, whatever it is, trimethylamine, mm-hmm. right? With the, uh, the beets and vinegar, does the acid also knock down the jasmine, or have you perceived the jasmine less? Mm, I mean, it's so pungent that it's possible you're just not experiencing it's like, overwhelming other the- flavors much compared to acetic acid, but... I mean, it's possible that it could, like, protonate something and then, like, reduce its volatility. I would have to look this up and follow up with you on it. Yeah, do that, please. Uh-huh. My favorite beet is the par-dehydrated roasted beet. Mmm. Nice. Those are good. Yeah. I like those. Yeah, we, we had, like, a, a beet dish kind of like that. Yeah, I don't know who came up with that technique. I first had it. Leathery almost. I first had it uh, like four years ago or something like this. I know that uh, a couple people were doing it. Mike Sheeran was is the guy that made it first for me. I think Ideas and Food did it. A Mm -hmm. couple people did it. You know, I'm talking about that technique, right? They're like soft and chewy. Yeah, 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 yeah. The chewy beets. Chewy beets. Yeah, we had we had a dish like that for a while on the menu. It It was super good. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. What kind of beets do they grow up there? Do you have to have some local beet? (laughs) Yeah, they are local beets. We get a lot of these like elongated beets. I'm looking at Nastasia's face for her reaction to elongated beets. <laughs> Dirty elongated beets. Sounds interesting. Nah, she's just lying. She's making crap up. All right. Uh, how do we talk about this? Why are we talking about this? I often wonder that myself. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I forget. Call in your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Especially any questions you have about uh, aroma chemistry and or cocktail bitters chemistry and or MIT Media Lab shenanigans. Or whatever else. Oh, speaking of which, uh, a shenanigans, we're going on Thursday to taste the waters at Saratoga. Ooh. I'm excited about that. I've been reading a lot about the water. So for those of you that don't know, Saratoga is a town in uh, New York where the millionaires used to go in the 1800s. And it remained a very popular spa resort. It's one of the first spa resorts uh, based on waters, water in the United States. Not the first, as they claim. Not the first, but mm. one of the first. And remained popular uh, until very recently. It actually, interestingly, didn't start necessarily as like a uh, uh, water cure, as a hydro, as a hy- hydro, whatever they call it, apathy, like mm-hmm. hy- hydrotherapy. Hy- yeah, didn't start as one of those. It started as just people believe in the curative nature of water, but it was started before the hardcore temperance movement. But like this, part of those areas did get taken over by some temperance crews, but they had full booze and all that. And then later, <laughs> horse racing, and theoretically, they invented the potato chip. I guess when we're there, we should have some potato chips. Do you believe that garbage? They're like, we invented the potato chip. That is freaking nonsense. That is nonsense. Potatoes have been around so freaking long. You're telling me that nobody anywhere in the rest of the freaking world was like, you know what would happen if I cut these freaking things thin and then fried them until the water was gone? You think that some moron in freaking Saratoga was the first person to ever freaking do that? 
I doubt that very much. I, I highly doubt it's, that. It seems statistically improbable. Yes. And uh, another thing, uh, speaking of the same thing, same thing. It's like, look, I, I, here's what I can Here's it. I wish people would never attribute things to like things like that that are just dishes to a particular era, a particular time. What they should say instead is X, Y, or Z is popular because of X, Y, mm. or Z, right? So the potato chip became a thing in the United States because it, of what they did at Saratoga. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah. That seems viable. That, that's a reasonable thing to say and interesting in and of itself. Boom. Right. Like, here's another one. Arnold Palmer, who just passed, mm. uh, just died. Do you like past or just dead? Dead. That's so why I like Stas. Stas, it's right to dead. the point. Yeah, Pat passed to what? Passed where? Passed what? Passed the peace. He's dead, right? You're like anyway. So Arnold Palmer was like 87, died, and uh, my wife pointed out that uh, they asked me once about the Arnold Palmer for mm-hmm. uh, 30, 30. What's it called? 30 for 30. The ESPN thing. 30 for 30. Anyway, I was like, he clearly the wrong person to ask about he, sports. Yeah, too. me too. He clearly not the first person to mix iced tea and lemonade. <laughs> Like clearly, these are two beverages that you see next to each other uh, on a like kind of on a constant basis. It's the non-alcoholic, yeah. like name. Well, and if you if you put like lemon into sweet tea, you're already like sixty percent of the way there. You are absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah, and and like, are, yeah. and if you have ever been to the south, like sweet tea, yeah. like coming out your freaking ears. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you like that stuff? Um, there's a time and a place for it. No, I hate this stuff. But then, then, then and lemonade, and then, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. But undoubtedly, people drink a lot of it now because of Arnold Palmer, which is and, a more interesting story. Thank you for that, Arnold Palmer. Yes, thank you for that. I don't know anything about golf. Nor do I. Would you, would you, would you ever play golf, Nastasia? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm with you on this, but what is it that you don't like about the golf? Waiting for people. <laughs> so you're already assuming that you're going to be faster than everyone else? I mean, I don't like mini golf, so. I think, oh, okay, look, mini golf is an entirely different thing. Like, mini golf, like. Still waiting for people. Yeah, you typically can't drink during mini golf either. <laughs> really? Well, not that I know of. So you're saying like this kid, is a, It's kid friendly. So you're saying this is a niche that has not been filled. The adult mini golf. Hmm. I think you might be onto something. Booker and Dex? I mean, yeah, I don't know. The. Uh... I don't know. The only mini golf that, you know, the last time I saw mini golf was on Billy Madison, and he definitely looked like he was drinking when he was beating the crap out of that clown. <laughs> um, okay, let's take some questions here. Uh, hello, Cooking Issue Squad. Is there an ideal way to cook long grain rice? And I didn't, we didn't get any follow up from them, right? On the, from Quinn on the rice stuff, so I'm going to do the best I can. Is there any uh, ideal way to cook long grain rice so the texture doesn't turn out so clumpy or mushy? I'm aiming for something light. And fluffy. See, that's the thing. Everyone's aiming for light and fluffy. No one's ever like, I want to make a, I want to make a conjure. I'm gonna paste this sucker out and I'll turn it to a paste. But maybe they should want to. You like? Pa- I like a rice paste. I like. I like a good congee. I love a congee. Well, you wouldn't use that that no, kind of rice. No but... no, but I like. But also remember, like long grain, like Glabarima, uh, or like Glabarima style, which is not really I means its own variety of rice. But like they break easily, so there used to be a whole cuisine based on brokens. Right. Right. You know, and like the idea of the broken rice grain is you you like light and fluffy though, right, Stas? Yeah, yeah. Do you do you like? I know that your favorite is like Italian style rice, right? Is that? Well, it doesn't have to be. But like, what's your favorite? How do you like your rice best? Light and fluffy. But like white, like white, white. Make, rice. But like just plain jasmine, plain. Yeah. Oh, you like jasmine? I love jasmine. Can rice. I ask mm-hmm. what is Italian style rice? Like, like, like risotto. risotto. Oh. When you have regular white rice, does it need to be like as hard in the center as you like your risotto? No. So you just like plain like rice cooker rice. Yeah, yeah. Do you mm. have a rice cooker? No. My apartment's not big enough for a rice cooker. <laughs> no, I use my bathtub as a rice cooker, but it only holds one cup. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm aiming for something light and fluffy with the grains intact. I follow a standard procedure for uh, washing the rice uh, multiple times. By the way, that never freaking works. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> People should like so much starch you're going to leach off the surface. Testify, never works. Never works. Here's it. It, it, it works. Here's the thing, right? Re, just people who write recipes for cooking rice shouldn't tell people like me to rinse it until the rice runs, the water runs clear. Because you know what? The water never no. ever does. It never runs no. clear. Never. Never. Like you should just say, rinse it three times. Yeah. Like, you know, blah, you know what I mean? It's like, unless you own a stream and you can (laughs) suspend the rice 
in a flowing freaking stream, rinsing it till it goes clear makes no freaking sense at all. That's what your new refrigerator should do. Rinse my rice for me in a stream. In a stream. What's how? Do, what's the what's the Japanese name for the pre the no, the no rinse rice? Muzi Muzi mess. I don't know. Anyway, I never used it. Um, <laughs> why would I pay extra? I know how to rinse rice. <laughs> You know? Obsessively and methodically. I don't live in California where every drop of water is a precious gift from the, from the heavens. Musen Mai. Oh, Musen Mai. There you go. Huh. Dave with the rice knowledge dropping it. Uh, I follow the standard procedure of washing the rice multiple times, followed by soaking it for 15 to 30 minutes. Then drain and add fresh water uh, to a 1.5 to 1 ratio of water to rice. By the way, the ratio of water to rice, everyone gives water to rice ratios, but it's entirely dependent on the evaporation rate uh, that you get out of – because you're never mm. cooking your rice in a 100% sealed vessel. Yeah. Uh, I've run some tests many years ago. I don't remember what the results I were. I mean, unless you're washing or cooking your rice in a pressure cooker. Even so, yes. Even so, or or in uh, the, the best way to do it would be, and I think someone did this. I forget whether it was America's Test Kitchen or something. did it in sous vide bags. Okay. Uh, in retort bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could do it that way. Uh, Nastasi and I ran a series of tests years ago, but they were kind of inconclusive on sealed bean cookery. I was mm. trying to do – I was trying to you – know, you know beans – how do you say beans in a, in, a, in a bottle in Italian? It's like fascioli or something like this. You remember how to say bottle in Italian? No. Fagioli e fiasco or something like that? Fagioli fiasco? I don't know. Yeah. That, that sounds plausible. Anyway, anyway, it's like you stick the beans in a bottle. You familiar with this? And you no. add the water and you just put a little uh, olive oil into it and you throw in a couple of herbs and you just throw the, put the bottle in the oven uncapped <laughs> and then uh, it just like absorbs the, the – and then you shake the beans out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And so basically it's just a method to uh, A, cook the beans very slowly mm-hmm. and beans uh, – B, beans. Now I got – I'm channeling Cesare Casella. Beans. Uh, to <laughs> reduce the uh, amount of liquid that's evaporating out of the product while it's while it's cooking, mm. so that it can be more. Anyway, so I was trying to do different various ways of doing it. I never got I never got it perfect. Mm-hmm. It, that culminated in a test I ran where I did uh, pressure cooked. I'm making quote marks with my fingers that you can't see over the air, but um, where I did uh, pressure cooked beans directly in an ISI whipper with a blowtorch, mm-hmm. like super not safe. Remember that, Anastasia? I shoved a thermometer into the top of an ISI and then, like, blowtorched it. And, and then... The, how, like, what's the pressure rating for that safety valve? High. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I forget how... I forget. Is it, is it, like, multiple times what a pressure cooker can take? Oh, yeah. Okay. We, we cooked beans from dry in, like, I want to say, like, five minutes. Right? It was, like, stupid. <laughs> It was dumb. Amazing. I, I should go back and look at the video. We did it for um, we did it for uh, first we feast. Mm-hmm. I was making nachos at someone's desk from oh yeah yeah from, yeah, yeah. from scratch. Uh-huh. And for me, from scratch means we start with dry beans. <laughs> so we started with dry beans for the refried beans and just blowtorch the thing. But looking back, like even like recommending to someone that we do that was like a really terrible. Terrible <laughs> idea. They tasted. They tasted good. It tasted fine. Even Nastasia said it tasted fine. Remember the look on the guy's face? Yes. There's a guy next to us. The guy, okay, so like when they were shooting it, the dude next to us, they wanted him to keep working like it was a normal work day <laughs> while I was doing it. And I'm sitting here, like, I turn to him, I'm like, hey, this is probably not going to explode. And I start blowtorching the sealed container, and he was like, what the, f- what? And we start dumping liquid nitrogen on the desk, like behind it, making the margaritas. He, he hated us. Yes. That guy hated us. Anyway. Um,. So back to this thing, 1.5 to 1 ratio. There is no such thing as 100% ratio. What there is is if you use 1.5 to 1 on a particular style of rice, mm-hmm. odds are that that particular style of rice is going to have similar right? – so the longer something cooks, right, mm-hmm. probably, I'm guessing, although it's not necessarily – do you add more to brown rice than to white rice? I'm trying to look at – I'm trying to see in my head the water levels for the cups on the side of my rice cooker. But anyway, I would guess that the longer a rice cooks, the more water you need to add because of the increased evaporation. Right. Also, the wider your pan, the mm-hmm. more water you have to add for a given amount of rice because the more surface area and therefore the more evaporation because your typical pot is not actually sealed. And in fact, here's another lie people tell you constantly uh, that I've kind of said on the, on the 
air a bunch of times, but anyone that thinks you're generating any pressure on the inside of a pot is sorely mistaken unless it is completely sealed because even one-half PSI of overpressure on the inside of a uh, pot that's eight inches across, right? Let's say your pot's only eight inches across. So half of eight is... Four. Four. Uh, four squared... 16. Right, so that's R squared. And then pi, six, th- let's just say times three. 48-ish. 48-ish. So 48 and, and a half mm-hmm. divided by two. 24 and 24. a quarter. So about 24 pounds is pushing up out of an 8-inch pot that is, um, that is not sealed at a mere half PSI. That's, right? a, that's a lot of weight. Yeah. Most people's lids don't weigh 24 pounds. That's right. So you'd need a perfect ceiling and you would need a 24-pound sack of garbage on top <laughs> of your of pot to get a mere half PSI of overpressure. But it is true that you are vastly reducing evaporation by covering it. Mm-hmm. Vastly reducing evaporation. But you're not stopping it by any means. Just just by surface area. Yeah. 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 Um, correct. So anyway, so 1.5 to 1 is like... You can't go based on, like, a, a ratio like that. Um, let me get back to the question because my phone decided I was done. Uh, okay. The cooked surface is nice and pretty fluffy, but as I get uh, closer to the bottom, it gets more or less clumpy and mushy. Mm. Is it a matter of changing the ratio or the soaking time? Uh, I forgot to say, they soaked by 15 to 30 minutes. Um, or are there other variables at work, such as the age of the rice or humidity levels? Ultimately, I'd like to use it for making delicious fried rice. Any helpful tips or suggestions would be most appreciated. All right, look. If you want to make fried rice, right, I almost don't care if some of this stuff's broken for fried rice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or a little mushy. But you might want to consider – you don't say what type of rice you're using. You might want to – no one – does anyone do, like, um, fried rice with, like, a basmati style? I mean, I'm sure someone must, but – it would taste good, no? Or yeah, is it think, too I, thin? Too thin? I mean, I suppose once you, like, cool it and then fry it, it could, like, the texture would be not as good, maybe? Right. I mean, the problem with something like, let's say, like, like Nastasia, kind of the rice of choice in my house is jasmine rice because mm-hmm. I, I enjoy the smell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem with jasmine rice in general for this kind of style of cooking that, that we're discussing here, pot, pot cooking, is that... Uh, it has a ten- it's long it's longer grain so it, but it also is um, stickier mm-hmm. right than uh, a lot of other long grain varieties of rice mm-hmm. and so it tends to have this problem of having some of the grains at the bottom be mushier um, when the top is perfect right uh, and also I don't think jasmine rice is going to respond well I don't know I haven't tested it but I don't think it's going to respond well to the technique you would use for basmati rice which would be boil it in copious water drain it just Mm -hmm. before it's done and then let it steam out Mm -hmm. you can if you're really worried about it you can do a um like a a half and half where you do a partial absorption cooking of your rice Mm -hmm. and then steam it to completion and that will that will cause the bottoms to not get mushed out well and i was thinking i mean maybe this is a stupid question but why not just steam all of it you can. Jasmine mm-hmm. rice can be steamed. If you're going to steam jasmine rice, mm-hmm. right, you need to uh, go thinner on your layer and mm-hmm. wide. So, like, that would be another thing. I think, like, in general, I said this last week, I think that in, in general, I think what you're, you're going to minimize textural difference between the bottom and the top of the rice simply by not having the layer be so thick. Mm-hmm. But you're always going to have uh, a tendency for the bottom rice to absorb more water just because it's in contact with water longer. So right. the top is essentially steaming uh, while the bottom is essentially done. So, um, yeah, like I said, like one thing you could do if you want to have partial absorption cooking because it's faster, mm-hmm. right, is you could uh, – you could. so there's always water above the surface of your rice when you start cooking. Yeah. yeah. So – you could, in essence, lift it slightly so it's off the bottom yeah. so that it cooks down and then it's not touching the surface. A really cute kid looking on our window. So it's not touching uh, the bottom of the rice when it starts to steam and then it steams the rest of the right. rice. Right, so you need like a pot with a false bottom that lets you boil for a certain amount of time and then when the water level gets low enough, yeah. you activate but steaming. A, you know, but a lot of this also, like you could probably do the, you know, that what, what a lot of people do is they'll, towards the quotes end, they'll open it, fluff the rice, i.e. turn it a little bit, close it and let it equalize and steam out for the last little right, bit. Right, because and the stuff that was on the bottom is now at the top, now steaming. 
yeah. now steaming, and like they finished it out that way. So that's that's uh, all ways to do it. But while I was researching this, I looked at a couple of interesting uh, papers. Uh, one is called. Um, the formation of cracks in rice during wedding, mm-hmm. and it just look at it has a bunch of extra stuff, but unfortunately that one I couldn't like copy and paste in to, to take a look at it. But that so it turns out oh, that you couldn't access the full yeah paper. Yes, you can. It's you don't even need to pay for it. It's there on the on the interwebs. Oh, okay. And the interesting thing is is that uh, so pre soaking the rice, it's not it, it, what happens is is that the surface of the rice cracks mm-hmm. like fairly soon after you start soaking it. Mm-hmm. And so it's those cracks that allow water to get in, like, really, really uh, quickly. Mm-hmm. And therefore, even a small soaking time can drastically decrease the amount of time it takes to get water in to make it uh, taste cooked. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then there's another piece, though, that I read, and, and it wasn't cited a lot, so I don't know whether people agree with it, but this is interesting. It's called... The uh, and I mentioned this last week. I don't know if anyone looked it up. But I didn't talk about it. The impact of pre-soaking on flavor of cooked rice by E.T. Champagne and Kale Bet Garber. Uh, this is in uh, was printed. Oh, I don't have the date on me, but anyway, you can look it up. And they did it. Uh, they did it as part of the uh, ARS uh, Research Center in New Orleans, which is maybe where the rice is. Maybe that's where we keep our rice cultures. ARS yeah. is the USDA. Yeah. So anyway, so... They, I mean, that would make sense. So it should be real, right? I will just read the beginning. Soaking rice in water for 30 minutes or longer before cooking is traditionally practiced in Japan, Korea, and other Asian countries. This paper is going to piss Japanese people off, like, <laughs> piss them off, because they're so hyped up on, like, the specific techniques that they use, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, like, anyway, so, anyway, check this out. When soaked... The rice grains hydrate, develop cracks, and water is absorbed. Soaking facilitates uniform cooking and shortens cooking time. This is why we, a lot of the times why we say we do it, right? Because, right. because water absorbs in faster, you're not going to have a hard center of the grain and a mushy outside. Yeah. And also it shortens the cooking time for yeah. those of you that are interested in shortening cooking time. But of course, shortening the cooking time is no big deal because you're increasing the freaking soaking time. <laughs> Hello? Uh, and a lot of people have run tests on things like... Uh, so cooking time versus soaking time on beans. Obviously, it's much faster. Pasta, mm-hmm. faster. Mm-hmm. Everything pre, pre-soaking right. makes it faster. Okay. Uh, the cooked kernel uh, after soaking is usually less firm. Uh, I guess... I guess they mean when it's done. The present study was undertaken to determine the effects of pre-soaking on the flavor of cooked rice and whether the flavor differences are associated with textural changes that could influence the retention of aroma compounds. So this might be interesting to you. Hmm. Eleven samples of short, medium, and long-grain milled rice representing scented and non-scented rice and a wide uh, range of amylose uh, contents were presented to a descriptive sensory panel. For the set of all rice samples, undesirable, ready for this, Nastasia? Mm-hmm. Undesirable sewer slash animal flavor <laughs> significantly increased and sweet taste significantly de- decreased with pre-soaking for 30 minutes. Hmm. Sewer flavor. Were you familiar with that defect in rice? Mm-mm. Animal slash sewer flavor? Mm-mm. Did they say what temperature they soaked it at? Uh, I think they did it. I th- either this or another study. This is just the abstract. Yeah, I didn't yeah, look yeah. at the methods. I'm sure they did. Uh, I mean, I did look at them, but I don't remember. Mm-hmm. For individual rice samples, significantly higher sewer slash animal intensity was observed with pre-soaking for the two uh, basmati rice samples and one of the U.S. long grain rice samples. When pre-soaked, sweet taste was significantly lower in one of the basmati and jasmine rice samples. The U.S. medium grain rice and one U.S. long grain rice. Okay, so basically they're saying that animal and sewer was in the basmati and a couple other long grains. So maybe the short grain, Japanese-style rice, don't get the animal sewer. Mm. And sweetness was decreased in uh, the long grain. So maybe it's just soaking on short and medium grain Japanese-style rice is okay. But longer grain rices, if you pre-soak them, they bring on the sweet, sweet animal and sewer, Mm -hmm. uh, especially scented ones. But then they add... Uh, pre-soaking also resulted in significant increases in summed negative flavor attributes and significant decreases in summed positive flavor attributes for the set of all rice samples. The effect of pre-soaking on texture as measured by TPA hardness. I don't know what TPA hardness is. Texture penetrator analysis. I, I, I think 
something like that. Uh, and chewiness did not explain the observed increases in negative flavor attributes. An increase in free sulfur-containing amino acids with pre-soaking could have resulted in an increase of their breakdown products, thereby contributing to the increase in sewer-slash-animal flavor. The decreases in sweet taste and some positive flavor attributes were likely a result of masking caused by the increase in sewer-animal and some negative flavor attributes. Interesting, huh? Hmm, very interesting. Never thought about it. I didn't think about it that way before. And I have to look and see. They say, uh, I'm wondering, they, they said short, medium, and long grain, but I want to see if they actually use like a Japanese style one. Right, yeah. But wouldn't that, isn't this going to, isn't that going to stir up a, like a, con- you would, you would I, think I this think, would stir up a controversy. kicked a bit of a hornet's nest right now, Dave. I think it's kind of important, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like, I typically, like when I feel like I'm treating my rice nicely, mm. I'll pre-soak it. Mm. Certain rices you have to pre-soak, yeah. like like uh, uh, sweet rice, like sticky mm-hmm. rice. Idli rice is all about the soaking when you're making a dough, but you never think of idli as having like a sewer animal or like a lack of sweet flavor. No. Right? Yeah. So like, of course, all that stuff's par-cooked. I couldn't see whether they par-cooked or par-boiled this yeah. rice. Does par-boiling decrease this like animal soaking thing? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? We need some follow-up on this. We need some follow-up on this. You want to take a quick break, Dave, and come back? Yeah, sure. All righty. episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a pretty good cook. Maybe you already know that sous vide is the best way to get a kick-ass, juicy steak. And with Juul, a new sous vide tool from Chef Steps, you can do so much more. Smoky tender ribs, homemade yogurt, creme brulee, bright crunchy pickles, vibrant purees, even smooth creamy ice cream, all perfectly cooked every time. Juul is sleek and small enough to fit in your kitchen drawer, and it's operated by an elegant, smartphone app that's been designed to remove the guesswork, get you cooking faster, and give you the information and inspiration you want when you want it. Browse Chef Steps' amazing recipes and helpful guides. Choose your perfect doneness for any meat and get notified when your food is ready. You know you'll get great results, so you can focus on sides and sauces or just pour yourself a cocktail and chill until you're ready for a delicious dinner. For more information and to order yours now, visit chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. I can imitate that idiot. J-O-U-L-E. Are we really playing like me on this show? Like, like they don't hear enough. They got to hear me and the promo too. Dave Overload. D- Dave Overload is right. Um, all right. So we have another question in. Um, now this is uh, from uh, Cafe uh, Bezalou in um, where are they? I forget where they said they are in Seattle. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm not necessarily going to be able to answer uh, answer this question. But uh, in fact. Well, let's just get to the question first. And, you know, Ariel, maybe you have some information on this. How, what do you know about dairy chemistry? Fair bit. Nice. All right. Uh, so then this is your question because uh, what we, do you know, we about, were, we what were do you know about butter chemistry stuff? None, nothing. In fact, this is a question. The, the question that these guys are asking is not something I'd ever considered before, mm. which I enjoy. So, in, in fact. It's, that's often the best kind of it's question. the best, but the problem is, is that like it's also not the kind of question that a cursor, cursory review no. <laughs> of literature could answer because it's not something that is um, a that lot of other people have worried about. Yeah, right. And, and we'll get into why. So what I tried to do for you guys was I tried to get in touch with uh, Professor Goff at the University of Guelph, like the dairy guy whose ice cream pages mm-hmm. I've read for years and years. But I didn't try to contact him until this morning, so he didn't get back. So, so like if he does ever get back to me and wants to call in, I'm going to read your question now. But mm. then I, I'm going to – I'll re-follow up if he gets back to me. I would like to have him call in or call into the show because I kind of like to talk to the guy because I've used his ice cream information so freaking much. You know what I'm talking about, Yeah, right? yeah, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. anyway, so um, – it goes like this, the question. Hello, Dave and Anastasia. Uh, and uh, by Dave, presumably both Daves. Presumably. Uh, I'll take it. Yeah. How did you enjoy it? By the way, uh, we'll get into it later. Uh, my wife and I have owned a bakery in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle for the last 16 years. We specialize in uh, viennoiserie. Now listen, hmm. Vienna has makes delicious pastries. Did you yeah. know this? Have you been? I have not been, but I, I've flown through the Vienna airport and... 
the airport pastries are slightly less bad than regular airport pastries. So hopefully that high works well on the. Nastasia, have you ever it been? It is an airport. No. You actually now you would like it. You actually would like it, like because I know I've seen every European. You feel like you like you've seen every European city, but yeah. like Vienna actually has a really cool feel to it. And I swear to God. Their pastries are freaking phenomenal. Like they, and you like pastries, mm-hmm. right? They're really good. Mm-hmm. Like I have to say, mm. they're really freaking good. I had the schnitzel. It was good. Mm. You know what I mean? At the official place. Right. It was good. Yeah. Their Wurst was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, those guys know how to make pastry. You know? I don't know. Whatever. Nice. Anyway. So, um, and I know that's not well, what Well, I mean, the, the croissant originates from possibly well, Vienna and the whatever. retreating Turks and what do you call me? Okay, let's mess with you. <laughs> anyway, but it's, the other thing about Vienna that's so crazy is that it's like at such a confluence of culture, mm-hmm. and it's like right on that, it's right at the border between, you know, it, it definitely feels like a Western European town, but it's right at the border between Eastern and, yeah. and Western Europe, and uh, and like far to the south there too, right? And mm-hmm. but the the thing about it is, is that it was the center of. Western European culture for yeah long time, long time, and still ha- has that like super cultural feel to it. Yeah, plus pastry, plus pastry, plus pastry, plus like a very high concentration of urban vineyards. Is that also. true? Yeah, yeah. They had like the city planners in like the 18th and 19th century like put all these interstitial grape vineyards. Just... Any, anything any good? Make anything good? Or is it all garbage? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It is good, and like people have been tending it for like hundreds of years. And, yeah, yeah. So it's this like urban sort of. Uh, uh, like AOC. So you can get wine from Vienna. From Vienna, yeah. And you've had this wine uh, a long time ago, yeah. I know more about it as a historical curiosity of winemaking, but yes, you can get this wine. Nice. You had it when you were at Davis. They shipped yeah, over. To- yeah. Hey, did I tell you I had a Norton I liked? Did you? Yeah. I forget the name of it, but I had a Norton <laughs> I liked, and someone was supposed to ship us some Nortons. Yeah. We're waiting, people. We'll we'll credit you. We'll give all kind of love. I'm interested in I'm interested in the Norton. Anyway, you know the U.S. grape. For yeah, those yeah. Who don't know Norton, the U.S. grape. Uh, what's the other name for it? Uh, Cynthiana. There's another mm. name for Norton that uh, is used in uh, Virginia. Anyway, but I forget what it it's is. It's not Muscadine, is it? No, no, no. Totally different. Okay. No, no. Norton does not have a um, Norton does not have a kind of a fox. Oh, note. doesn't it's a non-fox? No, they, they, like, but Norton gets a a bad uh, rap, mm-hmm. and I said this on the air before, but I think the reason Norton gets a bad rap is because no one is. I think the window of great of greatness. What I've read from people who actually know about Norton is that the window of greatness of Norton is like short mm. and not right away. So it's not like great right away, mm-hmm. and it's not great if it's really old. You want to yeah. hold it for you know like four, like three, three to five years, and then drink it. Mm. But that if you can do that, that Norton really can kind of hold its own. Cool. People are so freaking prejudiced against alternative. Uh, Grapes, yeah, they really are. Yeah. You know what's really weird is that everyone and their and their sibling is like interested in the tiniest like Italian or French grape that they grow three of, and everyone's like super jacked, and no one wants to look for the awesome weird American grape. Yeah, we need more like pride in our biodiversity. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's because I think it's because at least all those weird European grapes are all. Like uh, under cultivation for winemaking. Oh, they're all yeah, they're all vinifera, yeah, right? And yeah. so the, you know, this Norton is not vinifera, yeah. and so you know people are like, oh, so it can't be good because a lot of wine from like from you know other styles of grapes, um, you know, fox grapes here mm-hmm. are wretched. Mm. To be fair, but um, <laughs> anyway, whatever. Enough, enough, enough of that. We're back. We're back in Vienna. Uh, we specialize in, uh, and I can't say the word again with the with the Frenchness. So I'm just going to say Vienna style pastries, such as croissant, pain au chocolat, etc. Sorry, sorry, Nastasia. They apologize to you for loving the croissant. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Nastasia hates croissant? Like a flavor thing or like a mess thing? I think no, a, pe- just, a people like it thing. I like chocolate croissants. Mm. There you go. So you like the pain au chocolat. The mm-hmm. butter we use is European slow-churned, low-water. That's all in quotes. 82% butter fat product from Oregon. Hmm. Uh, so it's like not like, you know, it's not Costco butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, no offense, Costco. Uh, lately, we have been plagued by what I call brittle butter. Now, remember, this is recent, mm-hmm. okay? So it's recent. 
it's not their entire career. It's recently. Uh, n- normally, good butter has a stretch or extensibility that is essential in croissant making. As you may know, the butter and puff pastry in croissant has to stay cold yet pliable to form smooth, even layers as it is rolled between layers of dough. So cool, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It needs to be soft enough that it can uh, be rolled out but not so uh, warm that the, it melts into the dough, mm-hmm. right? It needs to stay as distinct yeah. layers, all right? So yeah. we're all good on what we're talking about here. As of late, our butter has been shattering into little chips between the dough. See the attached video. So they set a video of, like, the dough after, like, one or two turns, mm-hmm. and they they slice it with a sharp knife so you can see the dough, two dough layers and the butter layer, and mm-hmm. they pull on it. And in the one, the good butter, sure enough... The butter you, pulls with it? The butter pulls with it, yeah. like a fine taffy. And then, when I, before I knew it, they were, I just saw the video from Nastasia, and it said butter, and I thought these guys had managed to make butter that pulls like taffy. And I was like, oh my <laughs> god, these people are going to become billionaires. Imagine if you could have... Butter with that oh, texture. It would be freaking nuts. Like yeah. butter with the texture of dough. I was like, oh my God, I'm moving to Seattle. I'm learning how to do this. Uh, but it wasn't. It was dough with the butter in the middle once I looked closer. You were going to throw it all away for that? I was going to be like, these people, like clearly, like, you know, there is a Yoda out there <laughs> and I need to go study with Yoda because, like, I was just like, it's like, it's one of those things where now it's in my head that I should be able to do this with butter. <laughs> And so, like, someday I'm going to figure it out. Like, I'm going to have butter with the texture of Celepdonderma. And I was just like, <gasps> this has happened to you, right? But then your mind tells you no. This is like the same mind that caused me to walk into a glass wall a week and a half ago in Spain. This <laughs> mind that's not quite paying attention. I think, but I think they might call that the imp of the perverse. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. You look much better. I, my eye does look better, right? Now, now I just look like, you know, I got in a scuffle, maybe. You, you were a monster last week. Well, you should have seen me. I, was, I should Instagram out the picture of what I looked like right afterwards. Oh, my God. Because I look like I, – like I make Frankenstein look like he had a small brow. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was nasty. Even Nastasia said, even though I'm happy that you're hurt, I can't look at it because it makes me nauseated. <laughs> I did not say that. You literally said I can't look at it anymore because it makes me nauseated. Yes. But why would you want to look at it? Because you want to see me hurt. <laughs> That's the only reason. Anyway. Uh, as of late, our butter has been shattering into little chips between the dough. I know that fat can come in many forms, from saturated to liquid. I also know that many farmers feed their cows a mix, including canola oil, to boost the fat content of milk. I also recall working in Switzerland, where the bakers had a choice of butters with the same fa- uh, fat content, but were rated with different melting points. The problem with our butter has been intermittent from case to case, right? which is the worst. You just want yeah. it to be one way yeah. or the other, one way or to other. Um, case to case meaning case of butter not like anyway whatever uh, so apparently every case of butter is either one way or to other hmm. right but they're using the same producer yeah so uh, we, when we ask the producer they say they have no idea what we're talking about and that we should ask the cows that is a jackweed thing to tell you first of all like if I'm the producer and I'm making like fancy, expensive, like yeah. slow churn European style butter, and, and one of my users who like is spending a lot of extra money to right. buy my product comes to me and says, without being a jerk, so like I'm having this issue. Can you help me out? Like, there's a thing I need your butter to do that I buy it for, and it's not doing that. Yeah, you freaking look into it. Yeah, I'd be horrified. I would be. I would. I would. I would. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would commit damage to myself. I would be so upset. You know? And so, like, the reaction of this butter producer is not cool, right? That's super uncool. Super uncool. First of all, they should at least be intrigued. Hey, uh, ask the cows. That's way up there with ask my butt, which is what <laughs> I like to say a lot. Interesting question, ask my butt. But you know when I say it in a, in a non-family show, I don't use – I use a different word. But anyway, mm-hmm. isn't that a nice it's – a, it's a fun way to really – it's a mean brush off, but it kind of feels good to use it. Right, Stas? You said it to me. No. <laughs> uh, Yes, I have. You deserved it. Okay. Uh, the problem with our butter is intermittent from case to case. Usually we can use the funky butter. Funky butter would be an awesome James Brown song. Mm-hmm. It's too bad he's dead. That it's like true. funky drummer. You just All you have to do is take Maybe, the song no, funky so drummer take, take, and take the word drummer out and say butter. That was one of these, one of these kids that does, mm. that does like mashups. Yeah, yeah. A funky butter. Funky, but the, with, Weird with Al, truffle butter. Weird Al is actually doing voiceovers for Teen Titans Go. Did you know this? I the, did not know that. Yeah. Uh, we can usually use the funky butter in cookie doughs or creams as there is no adverse taste in the butter. So it's not a taste issue. Okay. It's, it must be a fatty acid compound. Presumably, 
these guys have control over the moisture content of their butter, so mm-hmm. it's not the moisture content. Presumably, it's the fatty acid content. Lately, the problem has been more frequent, and we are unable to exchange the brittle butter for good butter. Any insight would be much appreciated as we're much in need of a solution. Uh, okay. Uh, and that's uh, from James at uh, Cafe Bezalou in Seattle. Um, so I did some uh, original research uh, – not original. I did some uh, a preliminary, rather, research mm-hmm. uh, on the internets. And it is, in fact, true that um, the, uh, the, the actual um, triglyceride profile of butter changes quite a lot based on the breed of the cow and mm. the feed of the cow. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might – you might need to switch to a butter producer that has a uh, a finer hold over the feed of their cow, mm-hmm. right? So, like for instance, like but it's going to cost you a phenomenal amount more, right? right. So you might need to go to like crappy. Uh, you know, crappy the supermarket butter might actually be more homogenous because mm. it's probably all coming from the same like garbage industrially fed cows, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe it works for you. But the the other side is you could probably spend a lot, and I'm, I don't know whether grass feeding is good for this or not. But I mean, mm-hmm. you can buy a butter where you know what the feed of the cows is, and then like we only feed silage, for instance, right. or we only yeah. feed grass, for instance, and then at least you know what it's going to be from case to case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't. I l- originally looked into into some solutions. So a lot of people, when they're trying to, f- there's two reasons to feed your your cows that the literature was talking about to feed your cows specific uh, things. One is some people want to lower the saturated fat index of mm. their butter and so they attempt to feed lots of poofas to uh, polyunsaturated fatty <laughs> acids to cows to, to change the composition um, the other is to increase the fat content so normally mm-hmm. uh, all the studies I read where they tried to, in- to decrease the saturation of the fat also led to an increase in overall fat content so hmm. that's probably not what's happening in, in your case um, well, and I mean correct me if I'm wrong from your research on this, but I would imagine that like more saturated fatty acids would give a crumblier texture profile than you would think that. However, mm-hmm. however, mm-hmm. Uh, when I was looking at it, uh, one of the one study, and I was like skimming through it. This is why yeah. we really need to get a hold of someone like who's a, like a butter technologist. Yeah, uh, one study seemed to show that. Um, Butter that had actually been reinforced with stearin, like like tri like stearic acid three times, right, yeah. which is a f- stiff, yeah. stiff, hard, like, wax, like tallow yeah. wax. Butter that had been reinforced with that with that was more plastic in all temperature ranges. Interesting. So, um, hmm. which was totally, I was like, what? I'm like, I must be misreading it. So I think maybe I was misreading it, but when I. When I started getting data that was like so back and forth in my head, I'm like, boom, I can't say anything other than this is a really interesting subject to me. The other thing I would say is is that you might – I wonder whether whether you can get any benefit by pre-plasticizing the butter. In other words – uh, like I don't know how you I don't know what you do to your uh, butter block before you um, before you do it, but like some beating. Yeah. Um, you know, I, this is just true. Is that whenever I bake, I'm lazy, and so I pull butter hyper cold out of the fridge mm-hmm. and I beat it with a rolling pin, and 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 it all of a sudden becomes plastic. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of this has to do with friction. Right, mm-hmm. because you're doing heating with friction and you're beating it, but it can't. But when I thought about it, it's not really getting that much warmer. It can't all be that. I wonder whether you can, like, do something. Almost like I, I don't know if is butter actually. Does it have a crystal structure at all? Well, it's in other words, it has multiple melting points. Yeah, right. It's like it's not like as uh, sharp as. Uh, it's not as sharp as, let's say, cocoa butter, which right. is like, very pretty sharp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I ask that because if there is any kind of like pattern to the alignment of the fat molecules, then physically manipulating them could make the overall texture more plastic. Right. So like, it's maybe, not like pure crystallization, then. Right. But yeah, it's got to exactly. be some combination. Some, yeah. And then the way some that, kind of like Penrose solid thing yeah. with like local order. 
Right. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. In other words, like maybe this could yeah. help. I don't know. But the other thing is, is that I know that for in you know for when you're using just shortening for these kinds of situations, mm-hmm. they have specific solid fat ratios yeah. at specific temperatures with yeah. specific melt outs to get the puffiest pastry possible. But anyway, so I think it's an interesting subject. I'm going to cogitate on it uh, mm-hmm. over the week. Hopefully, Professor Goff gets back to me or points me in the direction of a butter expert. Uh, next week, Nastasia and I will come back with information about Saratoga's Saratogas. Saratogas. By the way, the reason we're going is because water comes out of the ground with bubbles in it in Saratoga. The, <laughs> it comes out of the ground, carbonated by whatever you want to call it—God, nature, magma. Like it's from the mantle. It's carbonated out of the ground, and I well, that's might. Like, that's like literally your holy grail. Like. Like the I'm like honestly I'm so freaking excited <laughs> to go drink, put my face under a tap of water outside that is carbonated and just inhale salty carbonated water. Like I like Vichy Catalan mm-hmm. with salty carbonated stuff. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited about that. Nastasia and I in different rooms are also going to take a bath in carbonated water, <laughs> which is another dream of mine. Take a bath in carbonated water. It's going to be excellent. In the meantime, go to mofad.org and please uh, donate to uh, our Kickstarter for the next upcoming uh, exhibition we're going to have, Chow, the Making of Chinese American Cuisine. And uh, Dave, didn't we have a, uh, uh, a donor for cooking issues that we want to give a shout out to? Do you have that information? I uh, do not, no. Mm. See if I can call it up really quickly uh, on the way out. In other words, we'll just thank, we'll thank them next week. Just remind me to thank them next week, and we'll be back with more cooking issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.